1: Just text KPI to him at 727-888-2100. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free step-by-step guide. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 to get the recognition you deserve and experience success as the go-to voice everyone listens to in your industry today.
2: Brian, welcome to the podcast. Uh, today we're talking with Brian Kurtz, the founder and CEO of Titans Marketing and the word Titan is really appropriate in your case, given uh, what you have done over the years. I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm glad I'm here, too. Let's start with a little bit of the, of the background, how you got into this, this amazing field, this wacky field uh, of direct response marketing. Some people have a a goal, really, they know when they're 15, 16, and they're in high school, and they're, they're sitting, whether it's a typewriter, or a, or a keyboard of a computer, and they're saying, I know where I'm going with this, I know where I'm going with this, other people start out going in all sorts of different directions, and then find their niche, what, what is your story, how did you, Uh,
3: yeah, I, I fell into it, Um, but I think, It was sort of, you know, planned chaos. I mean, it was, I wanted to be a writer. And in college, I was a film critic for the school newspaper. So I thought I would go into film criticism or something like that. But it was really about the editorial side. I mean, I really thought that I really did want to write. And so what I did was when I went pounding the pavement in New York after college, I went to publishing companies And just, you know, walked in with my resume and tried to get a job. I mean, that's how random it really was. And I was an English major. I didn't think I was going to get a job. So let me just, you know, visit 100, 150, 200 companies and just give my resume out and see what happens. And so I ended up at a company called Samuel French, which was a play publisher. They also did royalty rights and all that kind of stuff for high schools, doing The Odd Couple and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so I I ended up not with an editorial job but I ended up like doing royalty rights for uh, all these plays but I still wanted to write and so I eventually got an interview at Boardroom and at Boardroom which was also a publisher of newsletters and books the job that I interviewed for was in list management so mm-hmm. I went over there thinking all right I'll take whatever job I can get but eventually I'll work my way over to the editorial side. So I ended up in list management, which is kind of a, I mean, I didn't know what that was in high school or college. And, if you, and then I didn't know what a list broker was, but I figured they worked on Wall Street and I found out they didn't. So the, the progress here was very slow. And when a job opened up in the editorial side at Boardroom, after I had been there for a year, Marty Edelston, who was the president of the company, looked at me and said, I think you have a nose for marketing. I was 23 years old. What do I know? (laughs) And, you know, this is the idea of, you know, serendipitous luck or falling into whatever. But I realized that, you know, maybe writing wasn't it. I mean, I had this notion. And so I then that began my career. That was sort of the turning point of, all right, I'm going to do marketing. Then the next 34 years was a marketing (laughs) career. I can... I'll fast forward um <laughs> 34 years and it was a, a, a marketing career, but the copywriting and the writing aspect never left me so that I knew I wasn't going to be a copywriter per se, but I was going to be a marketer who has a, a real interest in the copy. And so boardroom being a company that worked with all the best copywriters I had the opportunity to work with the best copywriters of the last 50 years and learn from them. And I never wrote a package. I never. So I fell into the world of direct marketing, in essence, fell into the world of copywriting, but uh, from the client side. But when I started working with the copywriters, I found that I ended up being kind of like, uh, you know, they'd write the copy and I would oversee it. Mm-hmm. And it became, I became almost like a copy editor, an idea generator, but I really, you know, I I came out of the list business, so I really understood audiences, and they understood the copy, and I combined with so many copywriters to to do incredible packages, but they did the writing, not me, but that was the, that was the, you know, the quick, you know, 34-year journey. Uh, There was a lot of detail in there, but I
2: hope I got that the reader's digest version yeah you, yeah. you did that well I, I want to jump off on something you said because you know you talked about you know audience and and obviously the big thing with any with any piece of marketing copy is knowing your audience and targeting your audience and reaching them effectively and you started out in theater where the audience tends to be much more broad i mean you've got you, get, you there are niche Plays, certainly that target a very specific type of, a, of an audience but there's comedies there's musicals there's dramas you know a play on Broadway will reach you know many 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 people and and in marketing it's you've got to really hone in on, on reaching a, an audience you want to talk about that for a second?
3: Yeah I mean I, I don't want to make too big a deal about the, the job at Samuel French because I was only there for six months but it's an interesting I hadn't thought of that when I got to boardroom, I realized that and not right away, but over time, that when I looked at the, you know, the basic premise of direct marketing and direct marketing success and the 40-40-20 rule, that it's 40% list, 40% offer, 20% creative. But that what's important there is that it's not that the creative is half as important as offer or list. It's just that if you write great copy and the list and the offer aren't dialed in you've got 0% chance of anything working. However, if the list is dialed in and then if the offer is dialed in and you have half ass copy, you're going to make some money. Now it's not going to be, you know, the oodles of money, but it's not going to be a disaster because the list is so targeted that they'll buy from almost anything. So then the honing of the copy to the list becomes the the secret sauce that becomes you know if you can take the copy and make sure that cuz I, I it's funny in my first book the advertising solution we profiled you know six of the legends of of direct response marketing and every one of them and they were all copywriters if you looked at all of their quotes they all like it was always about the list it was so interesting. You know, it was, you know, Gary Halbert, you know, it's not the, uh, it's, it's the brilliant, it's not the brilliant burger. It's the, it's the hungry audience and, you know, the hungry, the, the hungry crowd. They knew that if they had the audience honed in, they could write copy that was much more um, specific to that audience. And that's where they did their magic. So I've always found it interesting that, so I, I used to call it the, uh, in my book, in my new book, o- Over Deliver, I have the forty-one, thirty-nine, twenty rule, which is 41% is the list. Cause if I, I want to get the list dialed in, I want to know my audience. I want to know um, specifically who I'm going after. And once I know that um I've got myself a, a much better chance mm-hmm. of writing copy, that's going to be copy to list. That's going to be, you know, and then, you know, within the list segmenting the list and then, developing copy approaches to the different segments that to me is one of the secrets of copyright
2: and and a lot of people don't think about that you know and and it's funny because you I want to read you a quote from you that I've seen in a number of places and it's I've never met a medium I didn't like and and so you know we see that like for example there's there's direct mail there's print there's tv there's radio there's there's internet there's all these different mediums and People are receiving your message a different way on all of them, yeah. and within those various mediums. Because if it's if it's a TV commercial, and you 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 had years of infomercial work where you did uh, you spent millions and millions and millions of dollars in, 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 in TV ads for the infomercial stuff. Um, but you're it's there's a different message for people that are watching The Big Bang Theory as opposed to people that are watching maybe NCIS. Or- like that so yeah like, i mean like i think that, that, that way too
3: yeah I, I think that um you know writing for different media um is very important um you know uh, honing in the message um but i think that you know people are people so you know that it, it's still about human behavior it's still about um you know one of the things because i came out of the list business i you know i came out of Analyzing lists on a a, based on RFM recency, frequency, monetary value, and so knowing the the those components of a list gave me the insight of what kind of copy needed to be written, and then you know TV was so broad that you know it was a different approach as opposed to the the uh, the narrow approach. One of the things that I'll say about Media copy is that if the the narrowness, so for instance in in direct mail, having different segments and then writing to different segments was a lot more difficult because you had a you had a split, you know had a, had a split different segments. Um, You had to pay more postage when you split different segments, and it was a lot more expensive. The beauty of, of say online and email is that anybody who's writing um, one size fits all copy to a list is crazy mm. because you can change the message so inexpensively and even if you template the basic message but the lead and the headlines can be to specific markets i mean at least do that and so the thing that i see you know a lot of people making the mistake is that you have a medium like email or like um you know even uh, Facebook or whatever, you can, you can hone in on various markets very inexpensively um, by changing the copy approach based on the list segmentation.
2: Good point. That's a very good point. Along the way, everyone has that, that moment, that, that aha moment where they're like, oh my God, this is really why I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I, I, this is the right thing for me. What was yours?
3: what really started kind of singing to me was this going into the health market and that we can make a lot of money and, and also save a lot of people and help a lot of people. And so the idea that, that we could, so I think going into the health market um, and, and creating great products for I mean, it was, and the other, the consumer market was also quite good. But I think the aha moment for me and when I realized I was here to stay was going into the health market and being able to do a book on diabetes and do a book on, on alternative cancer and do a book on, on general health that I knew that direct marketing was going to be able to exponentially grow that mm-hmm. and I could reach millions and millions of people, unlike, you know, um other things that I could be doing. And I remember, you know, comparing to, you know, I, I thought, oh, my friends who work on Wall Street or who are making a lot of money, um, they there it's it's just it's the perpetuation of money. And not to say that's wrong. I mean right. that's what they want to do. But I think having a cause um, behind, and, and not that, I, I, we were not a non-profit. I mean, you know, we were making a lot of money. But the idea of making a huge profit on helping as many people as possible was probably the aha moment. I mean, I thought I hadn't thought of that question before, but mm. that was probably it. And, of course, you know, knowing the lists and knowing the copy sure. was the
2: key to that. So. Mm-hmm. I think that might have been it. Flip side of that, even the most successful people, the most successful companies stumble along the way. Not everything turns out the way we plan. Um, you know, you have you have movie posters there behind you and obviously there's a lot of of movies that came out with the best of intentions and high hopes and then went into the toilet. Um, along the way in in your career, did you make maybe a mistake that you said, "Ooh, here this didn't turn out the way I planned, but at least you took something from it and made that 180 turn or show. Yeah, I,
3: you know, I always say you either, you don't lose, you either win or you learn. Mm-hmm. And so um, I can think of, uh, I had a, a lot of, I made a lot of mistakes. One of the ones, though, that was sort of very, very telling is that when we went into the infomercial business, you know, they, we were told that one out of 20 infomercials worked we were right out of the gate. We came up with a formula and three of the first four infomercials we did. And I mean, major blockbusters. We're talking $200 million worth of success. And I think the mistake I made was that the infomercial business, not I don't want to make this, I want to make it broader than just the infomercial business, but the infomercial business had a, has a problem in that, you spend a lot on the production of the infomercial and very little on the media to, to prove whether it's going to work or not. And so the idea is, so you spend 150 or 200,000 on the show. You only need to spend $15,000 on media to see if it's going to be a bust or not. All of that is out the window if it's a bust. So three out of four shows worked. And then the next nine, were all disasters, they were like you know, and, and I thought you know they were all going to be the next blockbuster and I and it was it was a really telling situation because each of those shows had its own uh, niche and its own um, I thought they were all going to be blockbusters, and so the lesson, which was fairly simple well, and it took me a while to figure it out, was you know don 't read your press clippings and don 't assume. That you've got the magic touch once you've succeeded. And so I've, I, and then I've taken that into every other aspect of, of, the, of my business. And it's been useful because the infomercial was, the, was the, the toughest because, again, you were at the mercy of a big budget and then a disaster and then you lose all the money. Whereas even now in projects that don't cost a lot of money to, to launch, I still have that cautious nature of what do I need to do to prove this business at the least amount of cost and the least amount of risk before I start rolling it out. And so that was a big, big lesson, you know, not reading your press clippings, not believing everything that, you know, that you're not God's gift to marketing because you know you had a few successes
2: you do an awful lot of consulting and, and working with other with direct response marketing companies with entrepreneurs, people like that. what's the best piece of advice you would give someone in direct response marketing?
3: you know the, one of the ones that comes up a lot is um, you know going deep as opposed to going wide. Um, I think that um, generally Companies are uh, tend to they come up with an idea. They look at it as like an incredible, you know, it's a big idea. It's it's going to be uh, and and they think that it's for everybody. And as opposed to coming up with an idea and then niching it down first and then going wide. So narrow to wide is is the formula that I think works best because when you're narrow, you can, and going back to copy, you know, you can narrow down the copy. You can like, if, if I'm going to like, you know, all men, you know, what kind of copy can I do? If I'm going to men who are lawyers or men who are, you know, chiropractors, I can, I can narrow the copy down and go into a niche. So I think, you know, niching down is one of the big ones. Um And I'm sure that, you know, most people would say that, but I, I, I see that time and again where someone comes up with their big idea and the big idea has to, you know, go out to everybody. Mm -hmm. And just because you think that you have a product or service that could work for everybody doesn't mean that you have to market it to everybody first.
2: You mentioned big idea. Um, one of the big challenges is coming up with that big idea that's gonna make the campaign work. Talk a little about the challenge in that regard and for your for your experience.
3: My experience um, has always been that the big ideas come from come from a lot of small ideas, that the big idea is not the one I mean, sometimes it'll hit you and it'll it'll just, you know, it happens. The light bulb
2: moment. Yeah, yeah,
3: you have the light bulb moment. But the light bulb moment is usually, you know, it's it's connecting a lot of, it's a lot of extension cords connections to get to the light bulb moment. So I think that, you know, I, I like the idea of coming up with smaller ideas that lead to big ideas. I mean, there's no one way to do it. And I think there are, you know, a lot of people smarter than I am you can come up with bigger ideas. But I think that coming up with a series of small ideas that lead to the big idea has always been my, you know, and, and also another way to get to the big idea is what I call follow the anecdotal evidence. So there's always like some evidence out there that this worked or that worked and, and you kind of build on it and, you know, using using the past to predict the future has always been a big factor for me. So, um, but you have to, you have to be incredibly curious. I mean, insatiable curiosity is the one, and and this is true for copy, you know, the best copywriters are the ones who are, who are just the most curious and the ones who do the most research. And so, you know, I think that constantly uh, being on an inquiry and always asking questions will lead to the big idea. So I think that it's you know it's a it's a combination of things, but that's kind of where I I go for the big idea.
2: I'm going to steal a little thunder from from your book over over deliver um, because you have speaking of lists, you have several lists in the book, and and two of them that I had highlighted were the seven characteristics of world class copywriters and the four pillars of being extraordinary. And you just touched on one that is in both of those lists, and that's the curiosity part of it. Yeah. Um, so talk a, a, give me a little bit more about that. I mean, it, it, it's, it's not something I don't think you can teach people to be curious. They have to have it to begin with. You're not going to take someone who's just got blinders on and make them a curious person, but you can bring it out of people. And it's part of the, the research process. I mean, talk a little bit about the curiosity aspect and the research versus the actual writing of it. Yeah. Company. I mean,
3: any copywriter who um, and again, I don't you know, I don't fashion myself as a copywriter, but I do fashion myself as an idea person as a and any any copywriter is going to tell you that they don't write a word of copy until they've done an incredible amount of research. And so, and the research can go in all different directions. And the idea is to go down rabbit holes, is to, you find something and you you know, you're researching a topic and you keep going into different areas because you keep asking questions. And I think that one of the things I have in, in my book that uh, I talk about Gene Schwartz and he used to say, I, I used to, like if you handed Gene Schwartz a book and said, I want you to write copy for this book, like his first question is like, what's not in the book? Like he'd ask you what's not in the book and like, what do you mean what's not in the book? If the book's complete. And he goes, No, there's stuff that I think that is not in the book and that you might want to add. And then he would read the book and say, I found some stuff that's not in the book. And because he, it was a health topic and it didn't go far enough. And he went back to the editors, my editors, and said, go find me something on this that I can write about. Because I know I can write a great fascination, a great bullet point. If you can get this information, don't make it up, but go find Mm -hmm. it and go find me something that supports this. That's not in the book, but that's an extension of what is in the book. And so that's a good example of what insatiable curiosity is about and what the beauty of, of research is that you've got to, you've got, it's sort of like, um, you know, one of the stories I, I have, uh, one of my copywriters was, I wanted him to write a, a package for one of our newsletter health newsletters. And it was an alternative health newsletter. And he looked at the newsletter and he, he looked at copies of it and he said, I, I can't write for this newsletter because it's not anything new. It's not, you know, if I want this to differentiate, I've got to have something that's unique. I got to have something that blows people away. So I said, well, what do we, how about you talk to the doctor, the editor of of the newsletter and find out what they might not be putting in the newsletter. And so they had a long conversation and they came up with a whole list of topics that were on the cutting room floor so we found out during that process that the guru the doctor had been submitting a lot of cutting edge stuff that our editors were deleting because it was too controversial or because they didn't have the research to back it up so my copywriter and this is this came from the copywriter the copywriter Basically went back to our editors and said, "Well, it's too controversial and you can't back it up now. go try to back it up like go the next step. They weren't able to you know save any of uh, all of those articles that were already dumped, but the few they were able to save were by going deeper and doing additional research that became the lead for the for the package um, that the copywriter wrote so You know, this kind of training, I think that, you know, you can't learn to be curious, but you certainly can learn to ask questions. You certainly can learn to, I mean, the best copywriters are very special when it comes to this kind of stuff. But if you just have a bit of that, Mm -hmm. you can get pretty far and kind of push the envelope and find stuff that you wouldn't put to find otherwise.
2: That's a great story. Um, You, um... You have overseen a lot of, of direct mail stuff over the years. Uh the number you use is one point three billion pieces of third class. Yeah, that paper. was only and in the last many
3: years at boardroom. So it's probably two billion pieces.
2: I was gonna say it's probably higher than that. Is there one one that stands out? And following up on that, is there a campaign along the way that you just that really stands out to you as a as a successful campaign?
3: Well, there are a bunch. Um I mean, there was one that it started as a book um, of checklists. It was uh, it was actually the book itself was like a narrow book because it was like checklists, and you know we thought this would be great. Everybody loves checklists, and and the book bombed. Instead of giving up on it, we then made it the great book of inside knowledge, and that bombed. And then it became the book of secrets with a brand new package. And it wasn't just the title, but I think the the lesson was that we thought we had, I mean, the book was still a book of checklists, but I think the positioning of, of the book as secrets as opposed to checklists and that the secrets became like fascinations. This was the approach we used in direct mail where we had bullet points and page numbers and all of that. And so I, I shortcutted the the process of where, how we got there, but that book became, at, you know, became one of the biggest sellers we ever had. I mean, I remember there was one campaign. We, I think we mailed 9 million pieces just in, in one, in one mailing mm. for that book. And meanwhile, it started as, you know, a disaster. And I mean, it was a lot different when it became the book of secrets, but, I think that that was one that's very memorable. And then from there, we created another one called The Book of Inside Information, which also sold, you know, probably sold three million copies. Um, never made the New York Times bestseller list because it was sold <laughs> through direct mail. But it's it was an amazing study in, in consumer books and how you can come up with a package and a concept that. But that was really memorable. and then the the uh, Treasury of Health Secrets was one that particularly uh, interesting because in direct mail it had it had some success. It phased out, and then we put it on TV. That was our first infomercial product. And after it became a huge hit on TV, we took the TV show and put that into the direct mail package. And it revived it to the tune of way bigger than it was when it was originally successful in direct mail. And now Mm. we had the book working in, in multimedia. So that, those are some of the big ones that we had. And of course, bottom line personal, which was our big consumer newsletter, always had, you know, always had some big direct mail packages that those book offers were, when they, when they, when we were able to blow them out, it was pretty amazing.
2: Hmm. i and back you you were i noticed you worked in your multimedia thing in there between between the the t v and the book and the and yeah. that's, that's very very cool um, um the the other
3: thing too is that we were always you know going back to the the list and copy thing the reason why um those books we blew them out book of secrets book of inside incident information treasury health secrets is that we always had our list selection and segmentation dialed in to a degree where you know, we knew like the, the 10 or 20 lists that always would work so that we knew exactly if, if we got those to work and we could, we had so much history that said if they worked to a, a greater degree that predicted the success and how much further out we could go into more lists and then to, then, then creating the copy that we knew would be the best for those lists so it really was a list to copy approach yes it was magical that we had a magical package that for those books but it was really based on knowing the lists and knowing what had worked and then taking it out further so i, I think that the the list to l- copy to list was always the the key to finding the the big offers mm. Speaking
2: of, of moving further out, um, we've talked a lot about how you've what you've done. We've looked back a lot and how you've gotten to where you are. Now, get out the crystal ball for a second and let's let's look ahead. I mean, you've you've been doing this for for uh, nearly 40 years. You've got a, a tremendously accomplished career. You're extremely successful where you're at at the moment. Um, where do you go from here? How, how much, you know, what do you, what do you, see coming down the pike in the next four or five years? And maybe what's, what's, what's still challenge, what challenges are you still facing as you move forward?
3: Yeah, I, I think that um, what I'm finding is that the fundamentals are the same. It's the techniques that we're using that are, you know, changing daily. I mean, I, I can't predict five years You know, what media are going to be the best and, but I think that having an idea of, you know, that I've never met a medium I didn't like is going to play well in the future because there's only going to be more media. There's only going to be, you know, from my early days in the eighties, you know, there were only, you know, certain amount of, you know, you had direct mail, you had print, you had TV, radio package inserts, there weren't that many, it was kind of finite. And now, advertising opportunities are infinite. So the things that are going to change is adapting to all the new media with using the same fundamentals, and then adapting to the new media. I know that sounds broad. And I know that sounds, you know, not too specific, because I can't, I can't predict it. But that seems to be one of the things that is definitely happening every day, so it's going to keep on happening. Um, I also think that I I I I'm seeing uh, a resurgence of of offline media complementing online media. So you know, a lot of online media, which has be, is less is a lot less expensive. It's a lot more efficient, um, but as you move up the the ascension chain to um higher price products and and I think there's going to be a, a, a more and more appetite for physical product for um for the things that were old news um that are going to be newer news and I'm just hearing a lot of that I mean now some of it is you know just what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing but I'm seeing some of the state of the art um, online marketers kind of talking about physical product and direct mail and and those kinds of things so I think it's not that direct mail is going to replace anything or that uh, space advertising is going to replace any, anything but the idea of those media working together in concert I think is is something that's only going to be more prevalent as you know, you can't just be in one medium. You can't just be in two mediums. You've mm-hmm. got to be in multi. So, you know, multi-channel is going to be even more multi, and it's going to be. Um, I mean, that's one. I'm not. I'm not Nostradamus. I'm not. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to predict. You know what's going to happen. But I, I. I also think that um, that copy having not taken a back seat, but that Knowing that you don't need the the greatest copy to make money on the internet, I think is now real. People are realizing that their 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 businesses have become more commoditized. That copy will also have a resurgence because copy is the thing that will differentiate you. And so I I, I see that as something that's going to change a lot. And then on a more specific note. I have a a dream that that there's going to be the old model in direct mail of of, of true bill me, of true um, you know free because on the internet it's very you know without a credit card you don't want to you know give away anything, and I think there's going to be a lot more in the area of credit screening and being able to deliver product for a real free offer a real free offer mm-hmm. and be able to collect enough on the back end to in, and and be able to do credit screening in real time i mean that that's a little that's a little granular yeah. but it's something that i think is coming and i'd like to be a part of that
2: last question 22 year old kid comes to you the the who the 22 year old version of of you for all those years ago english major in college and says you know, Mr. Kurtz, I'm 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 going into the field of direct response copywriting. What do you tell that kid?
3: Well, I definitely want them to read a lot of books first. I mean, I'm going to give them. You know, you saw the reading list in my book. It's pretty long, and the books just on copywriting are significant. So I'd want, I want I'd probably give them ten books to read. I'd have them go to. Some key conferences. I want them to kind of get a broad view of the copywriting world, both past and present, because the new world is going to be, again, as I said, the fundamentals and the new technology. So I guess that's the thing I would tell them. I'd also try to, while, you know, you can't like, I always say you can't choose your mentors. Your mentors choose you. I would explain to them that get a mentor to choose you. And how do you do that? Well, you've got to put yourself out there. So find the copywriter or copywriters that you admire the most that you, you know, as you do your reading, as you go to some conferences and you start saying, wow, that's a copywriter that I would like to be mentored by and offer up services to them, offer up on a volunteer basis, most will say no, they don't have time for it. But the one who says yes, or the two who say yes, you start on a journey. And if you've done a lot of the reading, got some, you know, basic knowledge, and a hunger, and again, it was, you know, the seven characteristics, Hmm. the first one is hunger, that's going to go a long way. I mean, Yes, insatiable curiosity is going to go a long way, and passion is going to go a long way, but the first one is hunger, and to show that hunger and get someone to choose you—you know, have a mentor choose you—and it's not easy, you know. If now you said that they—they're coming to me. If they come to me and go, Brian, would you be my mentor? It doesn't work that way, (laughs) you know. But Mm -hmm. if if you came to me and said. I've read I, I've read all these books I've done all these things and I'd like to write something for you I'd like to come to one of your your events I'd like to and take notes for you and and create a a course or whatever I mean it depends on you know th- that would be me but it, it could be anybody I'm interested I'll tell you a quick story I have a blog that I that I do every Sunday and I wrote about a great copywriter named Jim Rutz who was, and so Jim Rutz's sister, when, when Jim died, gave me all of his, his work, his, his complete collection. And I wanted to do a product for a, a Jim Rutz product. And so I talked about it in my blog and I, 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 oh, I did a, It was a tribute to Jim. And then in the PS I said, and I'm going to, I'm going to take that box of stuff and I'm going to do a product and two copywriters on my list came out of the woodwork and said, you know, if you ever need help on, you know, this Jim Rutz product, I'm in. So fast forward, I mean, we're almost done with the product now. Those and I ended up with a third copywriter too. I had three copywriters, not for any money, not for anything, but they are been involved in the project from the start. And when the product comes out, you know, they get a, a byline in the product. And in one, in two of the copywriters ended up joining my masterclass, you know, so I've been training them. And the third one didn't join my masterclass, but I've given him a lot of advice on his career. So they got chosen and I didn't, I, I knew I was doing it. But they came out of the woodwork. I hadn't thought about, I, I, didn't, I didn't ask my audience mm-hmm. who in that audience, what, which copywriters would want to work on the Jim Rutz product. They volunteered and that went a long way. And those three guys are probably, you know, in my life forever in one way or another. So, I mean, I think that's a good indication of, of, of how you get
2: there. They got you to choose them. Very, very good. Thank you for doing this. We have been talking with Brian Kurtz, founder and CEO of Titans Marketing and a a true titan in the world of direct response marketing copywriting. Thank you for being here.
1: Uh, You're welcome. Do you need money to fund your idea, product or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream.